You are listening to the Soar Above Cancer podcast, episode 101, Mindfulness and Emotions, an interview with Genevieve Stonebridge with your host, Gabrielle. Hello, my fellow cancer thrivers. Welcome to this week's episode of the Soar Above Cancer podcast, a podcast dedicated to finding the strength to not only survive a cancer diagnosis, but thrive at living one's life with cancer. Today with Genevieve, we discuss her experience as a cancer thriver, what it has meant to her, and what has her experience with mindfulness been like as a counselor and as a thriver herself. So we are very excited to share with you her knowledge and her experience. So hi, Genevieve. Welcome to the Soar Above Cancer podcast. I am myself very delighted to have you on you are such an incredible soul that I'm very happy to also be able to share you with all of the Soar Above Cancer community. So welcome. Thank you. That is a very nice welcome. I am also delighted to be here with you. So we met quite a few months ago and when we met, it was at the Survivors Conference with Yak, Mm -hmm. with Young Adult Cancer Canada, and you talked a lot about mindfulness So we thought that we would bring you back to talk about this theme. So for those of you who might have listened to last week's episode, we talked about mindfulness and we'll talk about kind of that idea throughout the month. Genevieve is here today to talk more in depth about mindfulness in counseling, but also as a cancer thriver herself. So maybe we can start with something very difficult to answer, having answered that question myself, but (laughs) (laughs) yes, very difficult. But at the same time, something that can shed a lot of light for audience. So who is Genevieve Stonebridge? Yeah, that you are right. It is a very big existential question because I know that you're asking it in such a beautiful, creative way too. So who am I? I am, one description of me, I think, would be an adventuresome light with an open heart, um, looking to do good in the world and to be of service to others. And I am also... Uh, creative being and have the privilege of being a clinical counselor. I'm trained as a clinical counselor at Inspire Health, which is supportive cancer care here in British Columbia. And I'm also a lover of life. And um, I'll talk a little bit more about how cancer has really underlined that. Um, But I would say that that is one way I would really describe myself as someone who is out to really love life and live life. Mm, That's beautiful. So can you elaborate a little bit on that cancer experience that you mentioned? Absolutely. So um, when I was 18 years old, it was actually the week of my 18th birthday, way back in 2001. So it's 18 years. Um, I had just graduated from high school and was ready to take on the world. I wanted to go to Hawaii and pick macadamia nuts, Um, but the world had another plan for me. And so the week of my September birthday, and it was September 11th is my birthday. And yes, it was September 11th, 2001, the noted September 11th. Um, I was instead diagnosed with cancer. And so that was a very big time in the world in general and also pretty much rocked my world in my adventure into adulthood. And so as all my friends sort of headed off to university and or picking macadamia nuts <laughs> or traveling the world, um, I kind of said I enrolled in the school of cancer and life. And so I went through chemotherapy and radiation and very gratefully came out the other side of that and 
ready to take on the world and kind of leave cancer behind. Um, it had definitely taught me some things. One was that um, I needed to learn to take care of myself. And I know that 18 seems like a very young age to realize that, but I'm grateful that I learned it at 18 because it's done me well over my past 18 years since then. And um, very synchronistically and serendipitously, actually, my family uh, introduced me to Inspire Health, where I now work. And I can promise you that was never my plan when I was going there and receiving support from uh, dietitians and looking at you know how I fed my body and also exercise, how I move my body and through the doctors and uh, counseling guidance. I never thought, oh yeah, I'm gonna come and work here. Um, but serendipity would have it. So that was the sort of beginning of my cancer journey. Um, and then in between and where we get, you know, I'm not going to give you an 18 year run rundown because that would take a lot of time, but let's just say between that moment of being told, okay, yep, you're done treatment, you know, go fly free. I remember feeling a little bit lost and like, whoa, I've just gone through this huge experience. What now? Um, but I also was very much like, okay, what now? Um, I had faced my mortality and become very, very aware that I was a human being um, with an expiration date that I you know, hadn't really considered before, which I think, like, see you nodding your head, and I, I know other people who are listening yeah. can get that. Um, and that, I think, really propelled me forward to just go out and really explore who am I. And so I traveled the world a lot and wandered and did funny jobs and fruit-picked Nashies in Australia and explored spirituality in India with my dad and worked in greenhouses and did a lot of things in the garden. It's important, I guess you should notice that. And, um, and then eventually decided to go to school when I was 22. So I did a lot of wandering and then from 22 to about 32, I did 10 years of school, which is, I'm just streaming line because it's a long long period of time but and I did a lot of my own soul searching and really trying to consider okay what does it mean for me to have gone through that experience um doing my own counseling and my own mindfulness self-care practices and um realizing that actually I, I'd like to be somebody who gives back to this world in that way and so then moved into doing my master's in counseling psychology um I still didn't have my eyes set that I would be a counselor for cancer patients specifically. I knew it was an area of interest. Um, and I started working at an oncology summer camp for kiddos uh, here in BC. It's called um, Camp Good Times. And I know you have them across Canada, mm -hmm. like uh, Camp Uchigeas and Camp Trillium mm -hmm. in Ontario. And so that was where I started to really feel my cancer experience coming full circle, that I could be of service um, in that way. And then when I ventured into grad school, inspired from my time at Camp Good Times and also from my own family experience uh, with my little sister, I was really curious about how siblings are impacted and how the loved ones of a person with cancer are impacted. And so in grad school, through my training as a clinical counselor and um, becoming a therapist, I also focused on being a researcher looking at the experience of siblings with a sibling with cancer. Wow. 18 yeah. years though. I didn't know yeah. it had been that long. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've been working. And so when I finished all that in 2015, um, I graduated and a job at Inspire Health um, opened and I looked at it and said, wow, okay, this feels like a really, really meaningful, good fit. And I have been here for the past four years um, and it's been incredible. And I am I'm grateful to be, you know, sitting here and being able to chat with you because of all those connections. Yeah. I love how you speak of 
coming full circle with your experience with cancer. And that's something that many of us who are closer to that treatment phase of our experience have a, a harder time to kind of mm-hmm. conceptualize because it's, it's, it seems like a foreign concept, but it's Absolutely. lovely how you detailed how it has come full circle for you. Yeah. And it did take time because I remember when, so I was 19 or 18, I finished around 19 and off into the world I went and I didn't start doing my actual own therapy and counseling to reflect on that experience until I was about 20, 21. And it was like almost other people saying to me like, Genevieve, that's a big deal. And, and I had made sense that it was a big deal because everyone makes a big deal of it, but I hadn't really thought about, okay, what does that mean about my identity as a human being? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just like, yeah, just that gentleness with ourselves. It takes time to make sense of things and we can't get it all right away. And I'm still making sense of it. I'll say that, you know, on a daily, I'll, you know, be sitting with someone or hearing your story, Gabrielle, and I, I will, oh yeah, another, oh, aha, right. Learning about this precious experience of, of being alive. Mm-hmm. Oh, wonderful. So you work as a cancer in oncology. So what, you've talked a bit about it, but what does that mean to you to be able to sit with people who have gone through the experience, who are going through the experience of cancer every single day? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's a huge privilege. That would be my best word to describe it as a privilege. And um, being of service is really important to me. And so what it means to me is that I am very, very fortunate and blessed to get to do this and call it work. I, you know, often people will say, um, and I don't know if you've experienced this in your lines of work, but people say like, oh, how do you do that? That must be so terribly hard. Um, and absolutely, there are moments that are, that are hard. And I, I would also say it's mostly just heart warming and we're in the midst of it and in the mix of it and of the awareness of the fragility and preciousness of of life and so it is heart work it is yeah deep work um but for the most part i am fairly inspired and i know that might sound kind of kind of cliche because i work at inspire health but it is truly inspiring um and i yeah privilege is the best word i can use yeah, I would I would tend to agree with you from the work I've been able to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we're here to talk mostly about mindfulness. Yes. So I want to get your take on what is mindfulness. Maybe Absolutely. we can start with that. Um, so a lot of what I have learned about mindfulness throughout my life, um, but then more clinically, like I, I think I was living mindfully, like from examples of my parents and then through some of the counseling I was doing myself. And then when I really dove in deep to really trying to understand mindfulness, I followed a lot of the, um, work of John Kabat-Zinn. And so his definition is, you know, paying attention on purpose to the present moment and non-judgmentally. And I really appreciate those, all those words. And what I sort of distill from it for like to the Genevieve definition when I'm really reminding myself to be mindful is right here, right now, right here, right now, being with what is here right now and trying not to be judgmental of it. And that doesn't mean I never am judgmental, I'm a human being and making judgments is an important part of life. And when I am wanting to soothe my system and regulate my nervous system, which mindfulness really helps me, um, and to try and find some peace or at least try and make sense of something, I try and drop the judgment and be with what I'm dealing with right now, whether that is an uncomfortable emotion, whether that is pain, 
or whether that's, you know, beautiful flowers that I just, I saw on my walk at lunch today, trying to be with what is here right now. Mm-hmm. One way um, that I also like when, when working and teaching about mindfulness that can sometimes be helpful too, is to ask people, you know, or give examples of what is a mindless moment to like think of what is the contrast. That's sometimes how we can best understand it. So I know I am being mindless for example, when I'm in the shower and I can't remember, did I use the conditioner yet or the shampoo? No, because my mind was too busy percolating and thinking perhaps about the past or into the future. Um, or you're, I'm reading a page of something in a book and I have to go back and read it again because my mind again was split going past or future. Um, or maybe you have examples. Do you have examples? Like well, those are very two very good, <laughs> amazing examples because I was like nodding to both of them, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to them. Yeah, I think everyone is going to have those little mundane examples, and then the the bigger ones in their lives. I think my biggest one right now would be anytime I think of my thesis, finishing my thesis. It's always consuming mm. all of the thoughts in my head, which makes me a lot less mindful in the moment. Yeah, I think it shows up in various ways depending on where you are in your life. Absolutely, and with with a you know a cancer diagnosis as well, it's very loud in our heads when it first comes on the scene, and that's okay. Like, and and I think you know an important part about mindfulness is not um, a lot of people think like, oh, I can't be mindful, and particularly when we're dealing with a big diagnosis like cancer, it can be really hard to get that out of our heads. Um, and that's okay. That's part of the process as well. And even just noticing that, like, it feels like all cancer all the time. And that's where mindfulness actually can be really helpful is to just even bring awareness to that and do, um, simple practices like five, four, three, two, one, for example. Um, are you familiar with that? Well, maybe we can explain it just so that everyone listening. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's, it's, you know, when we're feeling really like, your thesis is looming too big or the diagnosis is looming too big in our head and we're noticing you know but i'm not right now in the hospital or i'm not right now doing my thesis or i'm not doing whatever that thing is that is pulling me out of this moment we can do five four three two one to really ground us to this experience so we start with five things that we can see and you just look around the space and try like with a mindful eye to observe it and describe it not judge it and not go into the storytelling about it. So I'm looking around my office and I see a picture of a wave, so an ocean painting. So I'm gonna just notice that ocean painting and I'm deep breath in, deep breath out. And then what do you see, Gabrielle? In my office, I see these little succulent plants, fake plants, but very pretty. I guess that's judging. (laughs) Hey, good one. You caught yourself. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> I see a, a, a cute little plant. I love it. So noticing the plant, deep breath in, deep breath out. And basically, so you, you would travel through your room or environment, wherever you are. If you're sleeping or if you're in a dark room about to go to sleep, you would think of five things you've seen through the day. And you just observe and describe them. And just like you caught yourself without making them pretty or good, because as soon as we sort of label it with a judgment, then we often go into a story about it. So, you know, if I labeled the, the, the painting, I see that he or she's waved. Oh, yes. I remember when I bought this poster. It was at a poster sale at the university. How old is this poster? Why have I had it here for so long? You know, I think I should change it. Blah, blah, blah. And that's where we really snap out of mindfulness. 
So we do five, four, three, two, one, five things we see, then we do four things that we hear. So I can hear the sound of the fan. What can you hear? I can hear the sound of the air conditioning. Ah, we are both keeping ourselves cool. <laughs> now I can hear the sound of your laugh. So then we would do, you do four things that you hear, and for interest of time, I'm not doing all of them. And then we do three things that we can feel, and not an emotion, but I, I like sensorily feel, and, and trying to maybe choose something that's a little bit more comfortable. So I can feel, for example, I have bare feet right now, and I can feel my bare feet on the floor. What can you feel? I can feel my desk that is mostly clean. Nice. That is bare, yeah. That is bare, that is bare. Nice. And even if the listeners are, are going along with us, maybe they're noticing too. Okay, what, what is something that they feel? Maybe it's the chair behind them or their clothes. And then for two, so you do three of those. And then for two, you do um, maybe something that you smell or something that you taste. Um, so if you have tea, like I have some tea here. Take a sip of it. Notice the taste. Notice it in my body. Can you smell or taste anything, Gabrielle? I just had strawberries, so I can taste the strawberries. Love it. Mm -hmm. And then for one, I sometimes you can do one of each of those. So one thing you see, one thing that you hear, one thing that you sense, touch, feel, one thing that you smell or taste, and then one thing that makes you smile. And so one thing talking to you. Smile, yeah, me too. It's nice to connect <laughs> with you again. And all that summer sunshine that's going on outside. So that's like an easy way, I think, to bring us into when I say mindfulness for me is right here, right now. Five, four, three, two, one is a way to regulate our nervous system and become present. Okay, this is where I am right here, right now. I love it. You mentioned that sometimes it's more difficult to be mindful at different points of your experience with cancer, but how else does mindfulness relate to a cancer experience? Mm, yeah. So um, in terms of how it can relate, I think that it can make us, it can help to um, soothe the body. So here at Inspire Health, I have the privilege of teaching meditation class every morning, um, Monday mornings, pardon me. And um, what I often find, we, you know, we start the circle and we go around the room and check in with people. And people are all varying stages because we support people with active treatment and people who are, you know, five, 10 years out and beyond. And so we do a check-in and we ask people often, you know, like, how are you doing this morning and what's an intention for your practice? And sometimes they share a mindful moment. Um, and I, I get to hear, you know, a, a broad range of the ways in which people are trying to practice mindfulness through a difficult time. So ways in which mindfulness can help in a cancer experience beyond just um, being with the difficult. Um, some people are becoming more aware of what is really sweet in their, their lives um, and prioritizing that and really sinking into it and not taking it for granted. Um, mindfulness, one mindfulness, you know, foundation is beginner's mind, beginner's, and I kind of call it beginner's eyes. So looking at something with new eyes and after a life-threatening diagnosis, that can often happen for us as we see things through new lens. Um, other people will share uh, how mindfulness can help in communication in recognizing, okay, I'm feeling uncomfortable in this communication with my healthcare provider or with my family member. How can I, from a, from a grounded place, so mindfulness can help us to settle our nervous systems to come you know, from a grounded place and ask for what I need and ask for what I want. Um, 
so in those kind of kind of ways it, it fits in as well and then we also know from from research that it can help in decreasing pain um, help with fatigue uh, reducing cortisol inflammation um, all those kinds of pieces and then if we were to look even down the road um, perhaps for people who are a little bit further out of the cancer experience fear of cancer recurrence can come up and mindfulness can be particularly helpful for fear of recurrence Mm-hmm. Yeah. So overall, mindfulness is a bonus to add to your experience with cancer. Absolutely. It's a total bonus. And it's, I like, I, I am, I practice what I preach and I like at Inspire Healthcare as a team, we meditate all together every morning at 8.30. That's how we start the day, which is really awesome. And the mornings when maybe something's too busy and, or I come in late or something, I don't get that. I notice the difference. Um, and so it is an added bonus for healthcare providers to do it as well, um, as well as for patients. And I think knowing that if you're brand new to it and you're finding like, ah, I can't do this, my mind is too busy, or um, I, I don't know how, or maybe you have maybe a history in which sitting down and sitting with uncomfortable emotions is not the easiest, ask for help. Because I feel like my mindfulness practice has developed and gotten to where it is because I have been assisted and I have been taught and I have explored it in different circles and with different mentors. So don't be afraid to ask for help. I know there's a lot of awesome apps and I'm so pro app um, in terms of all the wonderful mindfulness. Um, and it's okay to ask for help in places that you get stuck because mindfulness is not one size fits all. There's so many different ways to practice it. And specifically with emotions, I understand that mindfulness can be extremely helpful and you talk about fear of cancer recurrence and different harder emotions to feel. They're not necessarily bad emotions, but just harder, different emotions to feel. How can you incorporate mindfulness to kind of mitigate those difficult feelings? Yeah. Well, um, I love that you distinct, you know, use that distinction because I am hundred percent with you. There is no such thing as a bad emotion. There are uncomfortable emotions and there are some that we are more comfortable with. Um, depending upon the person. So mindfulness really is this being aware of what is happening right now without wishing it were different. And that means sometimes facing the uncomfortable and and reminding ourselves, okay, it's not going to always be this way. And then also in the comfortable and the pleasant moments, knowing it's not always going to be this way either. But what we often do in pleasant moments is try and make ourselves wander out. Like we take ourselves out of them. Like, oh, how long is this going to last? You got to hold on forever. So back to the being with the uncomfortable ones and how, how mindfulness can be helpful. It's, it's a reminder. So mindfulness is a reminder to not over-identify with the feeling. And I really love uh, Pema Chodron's teachings because she uses, well, she has very ma- many different ways to make um, mindfulness accessible. But I love her metaphor. And she says, you are the sky and everything else is just the weather. Mm. And so... If you are the sky, so I am the sky, Gabrielle is her own sky, everyone who's listening is their own sky, and all of the emotions that come through, it's the weather front. And so if we're working with an uncomfortable weather front, like grief, or anger, or fear, or disappointment, mindfulness asks us to remember it's weather. It's the weather front coming through, and it will go, just like the seasons, and the weather comes in, and the weather goes out, And if we can just learn to find ways to be with it and to soothe our nervous system, we'll notice that it fades and it passes just like the weather does. And then maybe the sunshine rolls in and then maybe we're actually able to be more present with the sunshine 
instead of going, oh, geez, the rain coming back, or oh, well, yesterday there's a terrible thunder shower. So many people do that, right? Like, we're having beautiful weather here right now in Victoria, BC, and so many people are like, well, it's about time. Well, you know, fall is coming. And it's, it's like so fascinating, right? So when we have the sweet weather, we're complaining about how it wasn't sweet before and how it's going to be terrible soon enough. And when we have the bad weather, it's like, where's the good weather? And so we, you know, I love mindfulness for that because it reminds us that it's all weather and it will come and it will go. I hope other people felt that calm as you were explaining that because it's so true. It, it, it is just weather. And sometimes it's a good reminder to be told that it is just weather. It is the weather and it, and it will shift and it will change. And I, I have to remind myself that too. When, you know, when I, when some wave of sadness comes through my body or some anxiety comes through for me, I also have to hold my own hand and with kindness, remind myself, Genevieve, you're the sky and this is the weather that it's ex- you're experiencing right now. It's not going to always be this way. Exactly. Do you have an example of you practicing mindfulness within your experience with cancer and how that shifted your experience? Oh, yep. Yep. Um, so, um, so I was diagnosed when I was 18, um, and living, so fear of cancer recurrence is very natural and normal. First off, if I didn't learn that until I was like, I think in my late twenties, and um, so just to normalize that for one thing, it is normal in the beginning, particularly every, you know, pain or discomfort or irregular something we're like, oh, goodness, is what is that? Right. So it's very normal for that, those fears to come up. So I was navigating that and different, you know, getting different clear bills of health. And then um, when I was 32, yes, three years ago, um, I had a big fear of recurrence come up and I had been navigating it for about a year. I had a a lump on my thyroid and that area had been radiated so it was of high alert and high concern um, and I definitely I felt like I was invited to practice what I preach okay so how to be with this too and the real big fear of recurrence came up and um, I was asked to have surgery because that was the only way for them to be able to diagnose it and um, so as I was navigating all the biopsies and um, thyroid biopsies for any of those who are listening with they're very uncomfortable <laughs> and so one of the things I did to take care of myself and be mindful in that was um, before the biopsies with the with the nurse and the doctor who was doing it I asked us you know because it felt very much like okay and you come lie down and, the, and people are being gentle and kind but it's very fast right and so I asked before they stuck the needle into my throat can I said can we pause for one moment and can we just each all say one thing that we're grateful for. <laughs> it was really funny because I'm laughing about it now because I just like look at my 32 year old self and I'm like, you were really brave there. <laughs> so I did it a couple of times. And what I found is it just shifted. It gave me a little bit of pause. So that was a mindful moment of, can we just take a deep breath and each say one thing we're grateful for. And I remember it, it did, it paused us for one moment. And the, the I think the doctor said to the nurse, you start. <laughs> And so, and I remember what they each said, and and it was, you know, one was I'm looking forward to the weekend with my family, and the and the doctor said, sort of the same thing, and you know, I said that we have good medical care, <laughs> and that it shifted um, that energy for me as well. It gave me, and I'd be honest, like it gave me a little sense of control, um, 
and not control in a bad way, but control in a, I would say in a connected way. And, and they like, they saw me differently too. And uh, I remember, I've, I've done that several times and to, you know, different responses from people. But most importantly, it was, I was settling my own nervous system and also asking for a different level of connection from people that every time I've asked somebody to share what they're grateful for, people tend to tend to be open to it. So there is an example of practicing some mindfulness. And I was very happy, I guess I should say the end of the story. So I did have, um, I did have um, half of my thyroid removed. So I'm, the thyroid is a butterfly, I found out, and I'm missing um, the left wing of my butterfly. Um, but I have my right wing of my butterfly, and my left wing did not have cancer in it, and I'm very, very grateful to say. Um, but I did also have to practice a lot of mindful waiting um, in that time period before, between when I had the surgery and then waiting to find out. And I think because, and others probably can resonate, you know, it's, it is a different waiting than if you've never had cancer to if you've had cancer before and and some people don't understand um that but once you've heard the bad news um it's 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 an uncomfortable period so in that waiting period which sometimes you know can be quick but for me i think i i waited three weeks which um i also know can be quick sometimes that can also be considered quick i've been hearing lately that waiting period i actually think is is the more more painful even um than sometimes when people do get the bad news and then they can move into action around it i was very grateful i did not get bad news but whew, i had to practice my mindfulness in that waiting and finding ways to just be present and distract myself with life and i don't even think that's distracting but it's like okay what can i do today to connect with others i, I chose also to not be working at that period of time because I did not think that I would be um, able to do and support people living with cancer if I was sitting there wondering if I had cancer. So that's also a little caveat around self-care as a healthcare provider. So I took that time off and was very, very grateful that I did not have a recurrence, but it certainly woke me back up again um, and, and a, new fresh, a new fresh wave of empathy for what the patients I'm supporting are going through. Yeah, well, we're all very grateful for you that it wasn't a recurrence and such a relatable example because I think most people, whether you're still not even in active treatment, I think fear of recurrence or fear of cancer just kind of consumes a lot of your thoughts yeah. to various degrees depending on where you are and, and all of that. But the way you handle that situation, and I, it must have taken so much courage, I can just only imagine, but taking that time with your healthcare professionals to breathe and to be mindful and grateful. <laughs> That's yeah. incredible. And hats off to them, if, you know, to wherever they are in this world for, for quote unquote playing along that they were willing to, because I did it in several different situations. Um, I even did it once when I had dental surgery after that. So, um, and people were willing, which is very sweet. I also like, I believe in, in that. I believe in humanity. <laughs> yeah. And it must be great for them too, a shift of pace too for them. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I would sometimes bring them little notes or quotes or, and also those things of remembering like they have a busy day and just like thanking them for their care. Mm. Um, yeah. So we're nearing the end of mm -hmm. the episode. I'm wondering what would be your advice to someone who wants to incorporate mindfulness as a tool to process their experience to just be in their experience that would be more mindful way to say it but just kind of be in their experience so what would you suggest be gentle with yourself 
and and find some some good resources that resonate for for you and and knowing so to me meditation practice whether um you know we start with two minutes and go to five minutes to ten minutes to an hour start small and also you know meditation i i think of as like we go to the gym and we pick up weights to strengthen those muscles and meditation practice helps our brain strengthen those muscles and those neuronal pathways to be able to be more mindful. So meditation is one way into being mindful and strengthening that ability to be more mindful. And it doesn't have to be the only way that we first connect with mindfulness because whether you practice five, four, three, two, one, like Gabrielle and I have, you know, practiced together in this episode, or maybe thinking about a little gratitude opportunity, or maybe it's even taking three deep breaths. Um, I, you know, I connected with somebody today who had taken a big exam today and they said, you know, I had a really mindful moment in the middle of it. I paused, I was feeling really stressed and I paused and I took three deep breaths and settled myself and said, do your best. All I can do is do my best and leave the rest. And so it's, it starts small and be gentle with yourself and just, take it one moment at a time one moment and moment and moment and ask for help and i love my life to talk about apps that i love is that appropriate you are yes okay <laughs> i really love insight timer as a beginning app because it's a free there are options to buy programs on it but you don't have to i know there's some other apps that really push you to buy insight timer is very free and accessible and it has a timer on it so you can schedule you can plan your own meditation it could be three minutes and then you could have it have a bell ring every minute if you know your mind wanders and remember it is really normal for your mind to wander we have fifty thousand thoughts a day make friends with your mind your mind is trying really hard to plan things for you and process things so if you do that three minute timer set a bell at one minute at two minutes you could do it every 30 seconds just to help you refocus refocus so you could make your own little meditation on there there's a, a timer on there but then there's also you could explore you know so many yeah for sleep there's ones there's um ones to help with joy there's uh gratitude ones there's difficult emotion ones like anything you really yeah. type it in and you could find it all just anything like you just can really find anything on it i use that app too so so any other resources that you would suggest? Um, I also, like, if you really want to get into some of the science about it, I highly recommend John Kabat-Zinn. Um, and because he, I believe the way that he describes it, it I mean, he's, he's also um, who he can thank for doing a lot of the research. I mean, he did not invent the concept of mindfulness. It's rooted in thousands and thousands of years old Buddhist philosophy, though it is not religious at all in practice. It is very much something that anybody from any faith tradition or non-traditions can practice. But he, um, he's got a lot of really wonderful resources. So John Kabat-Zinn is J-O-N and then last name K-A-B-A-T-Z-I-N-N. Um, and you could look him up on YouTube. You could read some of his books. He's got introductions to mindfulness. Full Catastrophe Living is a real juicy one if you really want to get into some of the science around why mindfulness helps, particularly people with cancer and other chronic illness and pain. Um, but that and also, so MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction eight-week programs are generally sort of the gold standard around if you really want to get mindfulness into your life. Um, and there are some hospitals around the country that offer those programs. And particularly in Alberta, there's one for cancer specifically. Um, but there's online programs and things like that. And that's a really nice way of um, getting the sort of foundation of mindfulness under your belt. 
For sure. So overall, is there a piece of advice that you would just generally give to someone newly diagnosed or in a really hard place in their experience with cancer, not necessarily mindfulness related, but just something you would share? Oh, yeah. I, I, and it's sort of what I did say before, but okay. just be gentle with yourself mm-hmm. um, and treat yourself like you would a good friend. That's from Kristen Neff's research around self-compassion. Yes. To really think about how you would treat a good friend going through what you're going through, how you would hold them in the fear and the sadness and the frustration, and then treat yourself with that same kind of gentleness. And there is, I think, a lot of love in the experience of cancer um, that can be given and just allow yourself to lean into the love. And whether that's love that you're giving yourself or love from the friends and family members, just lean into the love and be kind to yourself and gentle. Mm. Anything else that you would like to add? Um, I read right before we started um, I, I, a quote by John Kabat-Zinn, and he talks about, um, he sort of dis, dis, uh, distills why we meditate. And I, I thought it might be a nice, a nice note to end on, if that's okay. That's perfect. Okay. So he says, and this is from Full Catastrophe Living, we are not meditating to make anything go away any more than we are meditating to attain some special state or feeling, whether we are basically healthy at the moment or have a terminal illness, none of us knows how long we have to live. Life only unfolds in moments. The healing power of mindfulness lies in living each of those moments as fully as we can, accepting it as it is, as we open to what comes next in the next moment of now. Life only unfolds in moments. Thank you. Total joy and privilege. So this does end episode 101, which is crazy, which was called Mindfulness and Emotions, an interview with Genevieve Stonebridge. So again, thank you, Genevieve, for sharing all of those thoughts and stories with us. We'll have linked a lot of the resources she's talked about in the show notes, as well as the contact information for Inspire Health. So check that out. And a big thank you to you, our listeners. You continue to show up as we grow, and this means so very much to us. So that's what I'm grateful for today. Before you go, just a quick reminder, if you have any questions or suggestions or comments, or if you simply want to share your story, please do reach out through the Soar Above Cancer website, as well as our social media platforms, all linked in the show notes. Many smiles to you, and see you next week. 